Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome back to another episode. For everyone out there, we have a special guest today. Mr. Ruben Wallace is joining us. He's an intern here at AES Drilling Fluids for the summer. We also have Matt. Matt and I have decided to, you know, I thought it would be a great idea to bring on an intern. We have a couple lined up, hopefully. But Mr. Ruben has dedicated some time for us today. Ruben, how's it going here at AES today? It's good. It's good. I just came from the lab. Ah, uh, okay. He's still got his lab coat on, mm-hmm. and I really like he's got the ruler to measure filter cake thickness, like yep. sticking out of the pocket. Is that- <laughs> and if you're <laughs> yes. a good chemist, you always have a Sharpie. So, yep. like, he's well into the swing of things. You've been doing this for, like, a month, right? Yep, I have. So, <laughs> h- how, how are we doing so far? Doing pretty good. Okay. Uh, it took me about a week to get used to everything, but right now I'm really into the swing of things. It's like trial by fire because Absolutely. everybody's so busy. They're like, you know, we're just like... Here you go. Let me know how it works out. But no, I mean, I know we've got, it's pretty much happening to all of our interns, no matter what department they're in, but they're crushing it. But before we talk about all the great work you're doing, could you tell us more about yourself? You're st- in school right now, right? Right. So right now I go to Texas A&M University. Okay. I'm going to be a senior this upcoming year. Okay. And I'm studying petroleum engineering. Okay. Is your class very big as a petroleum engineer? You would think it's big for A&M, but mm-hmm. we have around 70 per lecture hall. Sometimes it'll be 30, depending on the class, but used to be like 200 for the general engineers, but now it's just 70 now that I'm upperclassman. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's a pretty big weed out because it's engineering. Exactly. And yeah. It's also like, you know, petroleum is, I know a couple of professors at UT and they were saying like, you call it like energy you don't call it petroleum engineering really energy systems engineering and stuff like because uh-huh. it's got such a like negative connotation yeah a and definitely not like that i guess that's a big difference between a and and tu uh <laughs> yeah. petroleum engineering I we mean, just call it oil and gas we're so comfortable with talking about the energy industry and not talking we don't really talk as much about changing the industry as right. much as probably tu does that's a great point and so you know to kind of add to that, at what point did you decide to go into petroleum engineering and what sort of led you into, you know, taking that path? So someone, my parents, one of them's an architect, one of them's accountant, but I guess I kind of fused those and thought of engineering. Mm. And then when I was looking at different engineering fields, I saw petroleum because I knew some, a couple of people already in it. And that kind of helped me make that decision, especially wanting to go at A&M for a long time. Petroleum engineering is big at A&M. So that really helped too. Yeah, that's a natural fit. I mean, a a lot of folks that we work with and a lot of customers and engineers that we work with, you know, came from Mm A&M. And so, no, it's a fascinating school. I've heard nothing but good things, you know, and and we've worked with a lot of people that came out of Texas A&M. What's been the the biggest sort of takeaway from going to school in terms of like, has any of your sort of thoughts towards industry or like, have you sort of focused more on, wow, you know, like I really like to put a concentrated efforts in whether it be drilling or reservoir. Can you kind of speak on that? So we have classes for all the four different types, and I've been noticing that I like a reservoir a lot more, Mm. just, I guess, more the economic side of things. Yeah. 
Uh, it just seems a lot more interesting to me. Okay. I mean, kind of going into the AES world here on the mud side, you still get to deal with subsurface stuff. What do you find most interesting or what have you found most interesting since working in a drilling fluids company here? I'd say just the many different type of tests that we do. There's really just so much variety to what we have to test the muds and then take the data and not just enter it, but really look at what that data means Mm. and what's good and what's bad mud. Interesting. What's it like? So we've had Lee on the podcast before and the problem is Lee and I go way back. And so there's a lot of like things that we probably should not share on a podcast about just stupid things we did or stupid ways we learned not to do things and, and all that. But I always wonder what it's like to work under Lee's tyrannical rule. <laughs> you know, it actually seems to be he's got things really streamlined. Right. But, you know, do you feel like it's a pretty intense environment? Do you, he seems like such a laid back guy, but then you all get so much done. Exactly. Yeah. He's definitely laid back, but then he'll, when he's around, he'll say something specific. He'll say mainly tidiness. Making sure things are, we're doing things cleanly, I guess. Mm -hmm. And when he does things a certain way, you can tell that he takes a lot more time to do them when I never would have thought to do that. And I guess he just, he doesn't really say to do it, but he'll do it himself when he needs to. Yeah, I think he leads by example a lot. It's kind of weird because like he certainly isn't short of an opinion, but I've seen him kind of like just push people out of the way and be like, here, and like, you're sort of like, I better tighten up. I better work a little harder Mm -hmm. or, or, oh, I'm not doing it right. Cause yeah, I was just shown. So, but yeah, but interesting. I mean, and and we have a couple of interns, we have a PhD chemist, we have a relatively new hire. We have, you know, people like Larry who've been working for in the lab for ages and ages. Mm -hmm. You got this like broad mix of, all backgrounds and people and everything. Have you had a chance to get to know the other chemists and kind of work with them? So the two that I mostly work with are Julie and Greg. Mm-hmm. I'll work with Larry some, and then that's pretty much it, just Julie and Greg. Julie is the one I usually work under, and the other intern, Ray, works under Greg. Okay. But I'll help Greg every once in a while. Okay, and you just avoid the other ones? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't go over there. So I have to ask, Ruben, what's your favorite test? Like, if you could run one test... Before you leave, what one's it going to be? Hmm. I'd have to say the rheology test that we do. Yeah. Or maybe we just started doing a new one. New for me was methylene blue capacity test. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit repetitive, but it was just so fresh to me that compared to what I've been doing, that it was pretty interesting to me. Interesting. Because in school, you have drilling fluid classes or drilling Mm -hmm. classes, right? Right. Is there anything that kind of stands out that perhaps on the academic side you're learning, but then you came here and you're like, oh, wow, the two kind of, you not contradict, but is there sort of a difference between the academic side versus the real world side? Did you experience anything? There? Um, I wouldn't say different, but just, or not contradictory, but definitely different and not what I was expecting, I guess. It's different to learn in the classroom, but then to apply that, it's just a completely different experience. Yeah. No, that's, you know, real world cases are always a lot different. And it's right. interesting, right? Because it's kind of ties into, for us, a lot of times, so I'm on the sales side and the technical support operations side. And oftentimes you can do tests in a lab, but then when you go to apply it, say in the field, it's kind of that next progression into actually, you know, putting it down whole. And so, yeah, it's, there's always that what may work 
in academics may not work here in the lab and what works in the lab may not directly translate into working down hole. Right. So there's always, you kind of have to bridge that gap, which is fascinating. And that's why we make you run 800 iterations of everything. <laughs> exactly. so we want to be really confident in our data that it's as close or that we've thought of every scenario possible just in case something different could happen on the rig. Right. Yeah. yeah. Ruben, so a question, and I want to kind of pivot a little bit, but, you know, with, like you had said, your class size is relatively smaller compared to, you know, perhaps A&M's class numbers in the past. Amongst you and, and your core group of friends or even family, what do you suggest us as an industry in oil and gas can do to help create sort of a, a positive energy, no pun intended, around oil and gas and just obviously the importance of it? And to hopefully help, maybe not necessarily change minds, but to give people a bit more, I guess, confidence in our industry and perhaps attract the younger generation into our industry. Because arguably, you know, oil and gas is not going anywhere. But without young talent like yourself coming into our industry, it's going to, you know, leave us shorthanded. So again, the question is, what can we in oil and gas do? to attract folks like yourself coming out of school or even to get into petroleum engineering. Right. So there is a misconception about the safety of oil and gas and whether how much it impacts the environment. Mm. And so it's dangerous slope where kids my age aren't really wanting to get into the industry because they're worried about the environment and about jobs in the future, mm. which I'm sure we all know that, of course, jobs aren't going anywhere. They're not going to be decreasing or anything. But I'd say more of the companies to kind of get the word out there that they are trying to, I'm sure, but I know a lot of them do talk about how they're trying to clean up better, the different steps and new technologies that they're utilizing to improve how they get oil out of the ground. Right. So, and it's essentially telling the story, right? It, it, right. It's communicating that message. Where is all the attention for youth? I mean, I'm assuming it's it's online, right? right? Social media, of course. I wouldn't say youth really, really look at the news. It's really just social media. So yeah. if companies can get more out on social media, then that would definitely help. Okay. And by saying that, and I joke around all the time, but like all the attention to me seems like it's, you know, Instagram, TikTok, right. Facebook. My mom uses Facebook a lot, but mm -hmm. I don't know, like are, are your social so circles using Facebook? If or? I was to name, if I was to name specific apps, yeah, it would no, have to I'm be, curious. it would have to be TikTok. I can't imagine Facebook. Right. TikTok, Twitter. Maybe YouTube. I mean, okay. it, it can maybe, but sure. I'd say Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok were the main three. Okay. For, no, that, for that's that to, fascinating. For a real change, yeah. Yeah, and even then, so I was looking, I try and stay engaged with where the attention is. Mm -hmm. YouTube shorts, I've heard, is, right, is one exactly. that's taking a lot of attention away from TikTok onto YouTube shorts. Right. So again, if anyone out there is interested in, you know, I know the ladies at Flipping the Barrel, they're doing sort of a big push to create awareness around oil and gas. It's another podcast led by two ladies that are in oil and gas. But yeah, it's, you know, really getting out there and trying to get in front of send that message right. around the positive attributes to oil and gas mm -hmm. and, and getting in front of folks and what a better ways, you know, do it through podcasting and spreading the message. But right. No, I appreciate the feedback because it's really, I mean, I still consider myself, you know, young in this, in my career, but mm -hmm. the reality is there's folks like yourself and, you know, their twenties that are going to, you know, help move our industry forward. And so right. it's, it's great to see you and, you know, the rest of the interns in here pursuing a career in hopefully the oil and gas industry. So yeah. I, I commend you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Matt, anything else, buddy? 
No, I mean, I think we said we keep it short because Lee wants him chained to a bench for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> but um, Don't worry, that's not how it works, guys. In Lee, uh, out there. No, it's great. No, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm completely fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to hear, Ruben. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah, we'll send that out with a picture of you holding today's paper and, you know, proof of life and all that. But right. no, we really appreciate you taking some time with us. Yeah, uh, no problem. And, you know, to the audience, whatever, just... It's really cool to be thinking about, or I would challenge you all, think about what you're doing for the future of oil and gas. And, you know, the future's bright. It's just not very densely populated in the oil field yet, <laughs> but we certainly are excited to get some help. Excellent. Ruben, any closing last words for all your friends and family out there that are listening to this today? This is my first podcast, and I thought it was pretty interesting, pretty cool, but right. I thank you all for having me on. Thanks you're most welcome, on. Ruben. Thank you for everything and all the hard work you're doing. And for all the listeners out there, if you have any questions, thoughts, I would encourage you to reach out to Ruben Wallace, correct? Yes. Are you on LinkedIn? I am. I don't know what my profile is, though, okay. but I am on LinkedIn. I was going to say, for everyone out there, give Ruben a shout out on LinkedIn, but he may not be on there. But either way, you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Please like, share, and review if you could. And until next time, take care, everybody. Take care. Here we are. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. We have another amazing guest, one that we've been trying to hunt down this whole week. He's just been extremely busy. You know, I've got my lovely co-host, Matt Offenbacher, and we have a gentleman today, Michael Bolos, who is an information IT intern. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so this is, uh, from my understanding, your first podcast. Yes, it is. Okay. Were you excited? I'm excited and nervous. Okay, so I have to ask, and Matt actually, uh, you know, had, had sent an email and in offering up uh, an opportunity for the rest of the interns, including yourself, to come on the show. And Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was only only a couple that uh, volunteered, correct? Yes, two volunteers, and Michael made it clear he was available, and I was kind of, I was excited by that, because I know a lot of people are like, oh no, I can't, and you kind of, you don't want anybody to do anything against their will, but you do want to encourage them to try new things, and he's just like, I've done it before, but I'll give it a shot. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, that is. And and so, Michael, you know, out of curiosity, what made you decide to come on the show? At first, I was like really nervous at the idea because I'd never been on a podcast before. But yeah. I was like, I like this company. And I'm <laughs> like, why not? It'll be my first time trying it. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's in as much as it's an opportunity for you to tell your story and kind of a little bit about uh, what you're doing here. It's good for us as, you know, a company to kind of hear your take on, on things and uh, kind of give us a bit of a different perspective. But Michael, why don't you go ahead and, and let us know where you're from, where you're going to school, and then we'll take it from there. I go to school at the University of Houston. I'm a IT major and I'm from I wasn't born in uh, Texas. I was born in New Jersey, actually, but ah. I moved here about six or seven years ago to yeah to Houston. Yeah. Okay. So I have to ask, I mean, what made you decide to pursue that in school? I mean, have you always been interested in the IT world or in tech and stuff like that? Yeah. I was always into tech as a kid, and I'll say it started when I first built my own computer. I became really interested in IT from that. Okay. Wow. You and my brother-in-law would get along. He uh, built his own gaming computer. A lot of what he does is completely over my head. But yeah, so when did you, wh how old were you when you built your first computer? I was 14 years old. Good yeah. for you. I think that was ninth grade. Yeah. Okay. And so was it like a function of trial and error? Did you have someone help you? Like, what did that look like? Oh, I did it by myself. It was a lot of trial and error. It took me like about five hours and I was, I was really frustrated once like, like at certain moments because it did not go the way I thought it would. Isn't it incredibly nerve-wracking? I think I built my first computer around that time, 
And I just remember how nerve wracking it was like, what if I put this in wrong or like static electricity and all this. And like, especially when you're that age, you're like, there's a lot of money sitting in front of me. I can't afford to just go buy another part if I screw this up. Was that like pretty intense? That was pretty intense. Yeah. That reminds me of when like I, when I first, like when I fully built it and I pressed the power button, it didn't turn on and I was panicking. I thought I, I broke yes, something. I know that feeling. And I, and you know, it gets a little better, but if you, you know, when you keep building computers, probably by now you've maybe made them smoke a little bit or heard a few pops. It's, it's part of the experience, yep, but, is. uh, you get better at it as you go. So do you, do you kind of find that, is that a hobby right now? I mean, do you mess with that on the side, building computers and different things or? Yeah, it's still a hobby of mine, but in the IT field, you always have to learn. So like I'm, a, mm. I'm above that, like. Well, you could throw a machine together tomorrow, I'm sure, you know, no problem because you've got all that experience. And now now it's more about like troubleshooting and the other kinds of problems, yeah, right? Yeah, problems like that. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, did you mention that you were interested uh, when we were talking, I don't know, early on in your internship in cybersecurity? Yeah, I am. So what made you interested in cybersecurity? It's just because it plays uh, such a big impact on the world today. Like on the news, there's many like news of like cyber attacks against like different companies. I wrote a paper about a cyber attack that occurred maybe about six months ago. Um, the Colonial Pipeline ransomware yeah. attack. That was a big deal in energy. Why don't you, for our listeners, could you describe just kind of what happened or uh, anything? Quick summary. Uh, quick summary is a cyber terrorist group out of Russia, known as I believe Darkside, found a way into Colonial Pipeline systems. And as a response, Colonial Pipelines, they pretty much shut down everything. And that led to like the supply of gasoline to the East Coast, most of it like being reduced and many gas stations had to shut down because of it. Yeah, I mean, it's serious infrastructure type stuff and really matters. And it sort of touches everything. And I mean, speaking of sort of touching everything, since you're helping in the IT department, you kind of get the chance to know a lot of other employees because you're always helping somebody. Somebody f always finds a way every day to break their machine one way or another. <laughs> Can you tell us about some of the things you've been able to do uh, as part of your internship? The biggest thing I've done so far is uh, I've been going around recently and uh, still now uh, replacing the different monitors. And like for some of the users, even after I replaced it, they started ha like to have uh, issues with the monitors. So I've been having to uh, go back to them. Again, there's always, and especially a, a lot of folks that work in here, especially in, in one area of the office, typically we're mud engineers, you know, worked on rigs, whatever. Uh, so we always find a way to, to break some of the most even complex machines or things that you would think are durable. We find a way to somehow mess them up, don't we, Matt? Yeah, well, you repair things by hitting them. I mean, you know, on a rig, a lot of times, what was it? A, you know, a sledgehammer could fix a, a lot of equipment. And I never understood why, but it was just amazing what a few knocks and, and I mean this is much more sensitive equipment but yeah so it's kind of interesting that even something that could be sort of you know like a manual task like okay swap out these monitors and it's like nothing is ever as straightforward there's there's always mm -hmm. some other you know tweak you have to do yeah always some risk of error or problem arising right so I would imagine you know replacing monitors is probably something that comes fairly easy to you but is, is there anything that you've done that's, again, without like getting too much into the details? I mean, are you just sort of added, doing support stuff or are you able to get into things that perhaps you're learning in school that you've been able to apply? I mean, does, is there, are you able to sort of connect the dots between school and, and real life uh, work experience? Yeah, I've taken 
an IT class in college, and it's like pretty much basic. It's about like basic IT, um, like repairs and like installations and stuff like that. And I've been able to apply that into like setting up the company laptops. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah, just helping people with their issues. Very cool. So, is your long-term aspirations to get into like national cybersecurity type stuff? Because it seems, I mean, writing a paper on that obviously you have some, you know, pretty high interest in that stuff. Yeah, it is a goal for me because、uh, in the future I'm planning on applying to like、uh, different federal agencies and、oh. their cybersecurity teams. Wow, that's I would imagine there's a pretty you know the barrier for entry of that's pretty pretty tough. I would imagine. Yeah, it's really competitive. Wow, interesting. So tying it back to AES, I mean, what what's been sort of your favorite part or something that you've learned that you've been you know excited about, or can you speak a little bit about just your overall experience here with, within the company? Yeah, I really like this company. I like the the environment's really friendly. Everyone's really nice. At first, before I like I started working here,、mm-hmm. when I got、uh, hired, I was like, I was I was really nervous because I thought it was like,、uh, everyone's like stern. It's like <laughs> a really businessy type environment. But once I started working here, I realized, oh, these are just like everyday people. Yeah,、It's、just yeah. That's so cool to hear that because you know, like for Matt and myself, you know, we've been. In this business for a while, and we've been within AES for quite a long time, and we kind of take things for granted on how good our culture is here. And to hear someone like yourself nervous and thinking you're going to come into this sort of, you know, legacy oil and gas environment where everyone's, you know, and you know, all tight and not, you know, just lack of fun and lack of kind of laid back culture,、uh, it's neat to hear that to say, you know, like you guys are pretty cool. Like I actually enjoy working with these people. They're not just a bunch of Stiff folks running around and, and business only, you know, all work no fun type of thing. So I love to hear that, Matt. You got anything to add to to that? Well, I mean, I do think it's pretty great having come from a situation where I felt like things were really uptight and serious, and you know, nobody smiled. It was sort of it's sort of like it brings a good energy, and I think the cool thing for you, Michael, is it'll help you set expectations for where you want to work and how you want to work. So like like a professional environment can be a place where You enjoy yourself and understand, you know, whatever boundaries there are with trying to be a professional, but like it, that also doesn't mean like Soviet bloc <laughs> style interactions and only like formalities and kiss the ring of the leader kind of stuff. Which I'm really grateful that that we don't have because I think the reason people like working here is because they enjoy working together. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more, Matt. And so,、uh, how much longer do you have at U of H, there, Michael? I have. Two and a half years left. Okay, so again, being the Canadian that I am, is that are you a sophomore or what? Yes, I'm. It, I'm a sophomore, but I have a, a little bit more credits than a sophomore because I、um, gotcha. Yeah,、okay. I came in with a, a few college credits,、oh, so I'm graduating half a semester early. Hey, good for you. So, is that in high school you took extra courses, or you summer, or how、yeah. does that work? In high school, there I took、uh, AP credits, and if you do well on. Like their AP classes, and if you do well at the end of the year, they have a, a thing called an AP test. And if you do well on the AP test, you get college credit for that class. My wife actually teaches AP biology, so I'm、oh, well versed、cool. in that. But you know, so one, the other question I have: so I did some AP classes and I did some dual credit, and so I had extra hours. They didn't count towards my major, but the cool thing about it was I could register like as a upperclassman earlier, so I got to pick like better professors for the required classes. Do you get to register a little earlier because you've got more hours, or I'm able to register earlier, but not because of that reason. I'm there's like a college program called UH in four, 
and it's pretty much it requires you to take uh, 15 credit hours per semester. And if you do that, you're able to get priority enrollment. Oh, cool. That's a nice little perk, though. Yeah, no kidding. And I have to say, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum on that one. I actually somehow managed to graduate high school and I didn't take enough classes. So I had to upgrade, as they call it uh, in Canada. So it actually took me quite a bit longer to to do schooling. But I appreciate the hustle and the ambition, man. It's uh, admirable. If I were to do things over again, I'd probably <laughs> try to go that route because uh, extra time in college is never fun. Anyway, Matt, do you have any more questions for Michael? I mean, it's it's been really interesting talking to someone in the IT world. Normally we get folks uh, either operations or you know, on the, on the, you know, fluids engineering or lab stuff, but, uh, any closing last questions for Michael? I don't really think so. I think it's, it's kind of, it's neat though. You think about some of our folks who are working in the lab, you think about some of our folks who are working in accounting and they, they get to know a group well, but you get to know the IT group pretty well. And you get to see that, I mean, this wasn't, a, this gets more and more true every day, but how dependent we all are on the stuff the group you're in does everything funnels through IT. And so, you know, I mean, think about it. If you forget your laptop when you come to work, you're sort of like, you're probably going home. Uh, there's not much you can get done. So anyways, I, th- I think that's really cool. And uh, you probably have a really interesting perspective on the way our whole company works. So really glad to hear from you and, and hear a little bit more about you. Likewise. And uh, so, Michael, thank you so much. And I'm not sure if you're uh, you know, on LinkedIn, but for the audience out there, hit them up on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, if not, totally cool too. But I'm, you know, I'm such a big proponent of networking. So if anyone's interested in hearing uh, what Michael talked about today, let us know or try to connect with him. And with that said, everyone, thank you so much for all of the support. If you could like, review, share the episode, and you can also hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at asfluids.com. If you have any questions or ideas for a show, we always love to hear from you. Michael, any closing last words for the audience today? Thank you all for having me here. It was really fun. Yeah. Awesome. for joining us. Yeah, hopefully you get uh, this is the first one. Hopefully you get to do many more in the in you know whatever uh, at, you know direction you pursue. And everyone out there, thank you so much. Take care for now. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.